Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. They weren't preachy preachy. It was like Jesus loves you and he died on the cross to save you from your sins and to change you. And my response was like, you know, Jesus loves people like you in your white shirt and your nice tie. He doesn't love people like me. Look at me. But they didn't just talk about God's love for us. They showed it in practical ways. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. An international one for you today with Sheila Leach. It was originally from the UK. She now travels the world doing medical disaster relief and is part of the leadership team of a worldwide mission. So it is hard to believe that at one point she thought her life was beyond hope. Eric Scatterbo caught up with Sheila while she was visiting Western Australia. And today we'll hear her amazing journey on the story. Back in 2002, my wife and I served as missionaries in Quito, Ecuador, South America, with an organization known as HCJB World Radio, now known as Reach Beyond. While we were there, we met many wonderful people, including our guest today, Sheila Leach. Sheila, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's nice to be on your program today, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And we should say that Reach Beyond is a somewhat unique organization, that it was part international shortwave radio ministry, and then another part was healthcare. And you were over in healthcare, is that right? That's right. I was working in healthcare, and still am. Okay. And I should say, I remember back to 2002, 2003, when we were there in Ecuador, you had many interesting adventures, I guess we could say, including being pulled over by the Colombian rebels at one point. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I was on a, a remote area of Ecuador, and uh, I should say not only I in my car, but a number of people were pulled over and held, actually held at gunpoint for two hours uh, while the Colombian rebels plundered our vehicles and belongings. Oh, boy. Well, we'll maybe get to that a little bit later. And then I also remember years later, you were part of disaster relief in Pakistan where there was an earthquake and something about you had to stay in a tent with snow on top of it. Is is that right? Yes, we were deployed to the um, up into the Kashmir area of Pakistan and we were actually living in a in a military camp after the huge earthquake that left 74,000 people dead and we were doing medical relief and we were assigned a tent and it was the beginning of winter so we were covered in snow most of the time. Oh boy, not your average nursing uh, ideal location there. And yet another incident of medical relief was in Sumatra, Indonesia, when there was a earthquake and the pool water, the, the water from the pool of the hotel, actually went into the lobby. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, we were. Uh, we, we'd actually finished doing some work on the island of Nias, and we were heading back to Singapore and spent a night in Sumatra. And about 11 p.m. that night, the, the place was just shaken. And I remember coming down, you know, falling down the stairwell, trying to get out of that place. And the movement of the ground was such that it created waves in the swimming pool that emptied themselves into the lobby. So we were wading through the lobby to get out into the parking lot. So that was another adventure. Just a few of the adventures in the life of Sheila Leach. And we should say you've actually written a book about this called God Knows What I'm Doing Here. And that sounds like it's an appropriate title. <laughs> yeah, I love the title. My brother-in-law suggested it for a title, and at first I said, oh, that's 
no, I can't do that. And then I thought, actually, yeah, that works. So, yeah, written the book. Lots of these stories are in it. Lots of other stories to go with it. So uh, it's been a good, good experience to remember all the things that God has done over the years. Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning of your story. You were born in the UK, is that right? That's right. I'm from a little town called Bentley Heath, a village, actually. And the nearest big city would be Birmingham, which is the second biggest city in England. Uh, but I'm from a little village area in uh, near Solihull, yeah. Now, if I remember your story correctly, it involved leather jackets and being in a biker gang or something? That's right. I grew up in a in a very conservative family, just a normal family, and uh, kind of went off the rails as a teenager and uh, lost my way a little bit. And uh, my mom used to say, you got in with the wrong crowd. The truth of the matter was, I was the wrong crowd. <laughs> um, and got involved in, uh, yeah, I loved motorcycles. And I had a motorbike and, and, and joined a, a biker gang um, at that time and also got pretty heavily involved in drugs at the time. So I'd ride around on my bike. Not a huge bike, not a big Harley, but it was a motorcycle. And it was a pretty rough group of people that I was hanging out with. Yeah, I was going to say, so you, this was pretty tough living. I mean, you were a tough young lady. I was hard. I was hard, yeah. I had black leather jacket with fringes, dirty jeans, boots, and uh, armed myself. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty rough, tough lifestyle. And I was a pretty hard person. Not just hard on the outside, which I like to appear hard, but hard in the inside. My heart was very hard. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. How did your heart get so hard to be into this type of lifestyle? Yeah, I, th I think I got into the lifestyle because uh, as a young person, I was looking for somewhere to belong. Mm. Um, I, I was looking for acceptance and group acceptance, and I actually found it in the biker scene. Um, and I think my heart changed from hanging out with people with those different kind of values um, from those I'd held in my family. And I became a hard person. But the truth of the matter was, Eric, that when I was hanging out with my friends, I was hard and I, I felt good and I felt like I belonged. But the minute I was on my own, I was probably the most broken, miserable, sad, lonely person on the planet. And then how did God break through that tough exterior? Well, he shattered it. Hmm. <laughs> I, I actually was, um, was in a pub uh, with my biker friends um, the first time that I heard the gospel. I'd, I'd, I'd been to Sunday school as a child, so I'd kind of heard about Jesus, but never, that had never made an impact into my life. And uh, since I'd gone off the rails, I used to hang out in the same bar or the same pub every Friday night and probably every other night in the week. And one Friday night, a group of people came into the pub. It was called the Golden Lion. Um, still know that place <laughs> in Solihull. <laughs> it's still there. Um, and they came in and, and they, they, they were wearing, you know, nice dark suits and had carried Bibles. And, uh, and we Th thought this they was were, a uh, ministry that would go into pubs? Yeah, yeah, oh, it was actually it was a, a ministry from a group of churches that were concerned about uh, the drug situation in, in Solihull, and they decided that they would come in and try and reach out to the down and outs and the drug addicts and tell us about Jesus. But because they looked so different, the word went around, these guys are from the probation service or they're from the police. Oh, you thought they were undercover or something yeah, like we that? Yeah, we thought they were some kind of official people, and so at first people didn't want to talk to them. But the interesting thing was that the only thing, the only message they had was to sit down and tell us, Sheila, Jesus loves you. That was it. Hmm. They weren't preachy-preachy. It was like, Jesus loves you, and he died on the cross to save you from your sins and to change you. And my response was like, you know, Jesus loves people like you. 
in your white shirt and your nice tie. He doesn't love people like me. Look at me. Mm. Um, but they didn't just talk about God's love for us. They showed it in practical ways. And that meant taking us back for coffee to their homes or bailing out my friends from jail or whatever it was. But they just showed God's love in tangible and very practical ways. So take us to the moment that you put your faith in Jesus. So a friend of mine called Steve had um, been on the drug scene, and uh, he came back, and he was all cleaned up and looking nice, and he, uh, I actually thought he'd been in jail and had come off drugs and was doing well. Um, but in actual fact, he, the story that he told us was that he had had an encounter with God, and he had come to know Jesus as his Savior, and he came back to the pub to invite us to go to church. And so a group of us decided it would be fun, it would be a laugh to go to this evangelical church and listen to Steve. Oh, you thought it was a laugh? Yeah, we thought it would be funny just to go to church and, um, you know, maybe heckle a little Hmm. bit. But in actual fact, when we got inside that evangelical church, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. I mean, they actually had guitars and a drum. (laughs) (laughs) It was off the wall then. This was like in 1975. Okay. Um, and so uh, this little preacher stood up, and he he was fire and brimstone, but it was like he was talking to me. Oh, wow. I felt like somebody's told him all about me, and it was so powerful. And he made an appeal, and I did not put my hand up. I thought my heart was going to jump out of my chest because it, I, was, I was hyperventilating. I was sweating but I did not make a response. And it was some time after that, and the church continued to pray for me, that one Sunday morning, um, I was in the church. I kind of was going back every now and again to that Mm -hmm. church. And this was the first time I'd gone back on a Sunday morning, and it was a communion service, and there was an open time of worship, and people were standing up and just thanking Jesus for what he'd done for them. There was a communion table spread out, and the love of God just overwhelmed me. Mm. I mean, I just felt God's love in an amazing, incredible way, and I knew, I knew that God loved me. And my response that morning is that the pastor did make an appeal. He said, I don't do this in the communion service, but I know that God is dealing with people this morning. I know there are people that want to get right with God. And so they did an appeal. I put my hand up and he said, God bless you, Sheila. So everybody knew, um, (laughs) went out to the front. And I knew, I knew in that moment that my sins were forgiven. I, I knew that I was forgiven. I felt clean and I felt new and I felt renewed and I knew that life was going to be different from there on. So what happened next in your life? Well, Eric, don't ask me difficult questions. I want (laughs) to say that I became a Christian and everything was lovely and I became the most wonderful person. And that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case, huh? It wasn't. Because after that, I, for six months, I really struggled Hmm. because I didn't, I thought, well, now I'm a Christian. I should stop doing these things. I should stop taking drugs. I should stop doing this. I should stop doing that. And I I didn't realize that I, in myself, cannot do any of those things. Mm -hmm. That I really needed to learn to depend on God and the Holy Spirit to change me. And so I struggled for six months. And at the end of that time, some wonderful Christians who'd been praying for me, had been watching me struggle, came alongside and said, you know, we found a place that you can go to, a Christian rehabilitation center, and they will help you through this next period of your life. And so they took me out to a, a place that was a farm, a little farm out on the, in the countryside, whereas a Christian group of people were there, had set up a rehab center. And within two or three days of being there, we had the, the talk 
um, because really I, I was on probation from the police at that time, so I had to inform them where I was living. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was crucial that we actually were very clear about was I going to stay or was I going to leave. And the leadership of the farm said, Sheila, this is a commitment that you're going to make today, and it's not a commitment to us because you're going to commit. If you stay, you need to stay for at least a year. And it will be a commitment not to us. It will be a commitment before God. So I knew it was all or nothing. Mm. At that point in my life, it was like, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And that was the real time when I said, I'm going to stay here. This is where I'm going to stay. And I knew from that day on that my life would be lived in service to God. My, my life verses from 1 Peter 2.9, and it talks about being a chosen people, God's own people, a royal priesthood, um, called to declare the works of him who called you out of darkness into his most marvelous light. And it was almost a calling and commission at that point. My life is different. I'm turning my back, uh, walking away from what was before um, and, and entering into the fullness of the new life in Christ from that moment onwards. And so that's what I did. I stayed. You're listening to The Story, and today we're hearing Sheila Leach from the UK share her life journey. Next, we'll find out how she became involved in responding to disasters around the world. That and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Sheila Leach, who's been sharing her amazing life journey. Now, before the break, we heard how she became a Christian while hanging out with a tough biker crowd in the UK. Now, we'll find out what happened next in her life. And then how does nursing come into the picture? Well... Yeah, that was that was a few years down the line, Eric, actually. So so I was at the farm for a year, and I mm-hmm. knew I was safe to serve. I knew mm-hmm. that God had a plan and purpose for me. I had been the most lost, wandering, purposeless person. And one of the effects when God took my life and turned me the right way up was that he showed me that he had a plan and a purpose. He had something for me to do. And I just was desperate during that year as I was discipled and mentored by wonderful Christian people. It's like, I don't know anything. I don't know the Bible. So at the end of the year, I actually applied to go to Bible school and uh, was accepted at Birmingham Bible Institute in the UK. Oh, wow. I was the, probably the only student they'd ever had that had a probation officer coming to check on her every week <laughs> to make sure she was there. Um, and that was a, a time of intense growth and preparation for me. And at the end of that time, through many circumstances, too many to talk about, um, God actually showed me that he was calling me to the mission field and to Ecuador specifically. And oh, okay. So, so that's how we ended up meeting in Ecuador. Yeah, well, but you, you were there many years before we got there. That's right. Well, for, for, from 1980 to 1989, I, I lived and worked in Ecuador amongst an indigenous tribe, the Colorado Indians that you will know about, the red-painted mm-hmm. people, the mm-hmm. Tachila. So I was living and working amongst that tribe. And then during that time of those nine years, I realized that the gospel is three-dimensional. Jesus came to heal the sick. 
and to share the word and to bring people to himself. And my ministry was very geared on preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, when people had very physical needs and other needs that I I needed to be able to help Mm. them with. And I began to realize I need more preparation. I need to be able to offer something. And so I went back to the UK in 1989 and did my nursing studies and returned to Ecuador with HCJB Reach Beyond in 93. And it was after that that we met as I was working as a nurse in Ecuador. Oh, okay. And so you were originally at the hospital, which was across the street from the compound that we kind of all worked at. Is that right? Yeah, I worked a little bit briefly in the emergency room at the hospital mm-hmm. and uh, and then quickly moved out to the community. And that's where the adventures or uh, misadventures, if you will, of uh, meeting the Colombian rebels took place. Is that right? Yeah. Well, at that time, we had we had various ministries going on in community development. One was the mobile medical clinic, the mm-hmm. caravan ministry. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Which is still going ahead. And then we had um, water and sanitation projects, which we still do. Um, But we had a little eye clinic, a prevention of blindness program up in the northwest corner of Ecuador in a place called San Lorenzo. And um, that was in a very remote area, five miles from the Colombian border. And it was um, I was coming back from that clinic when the holdup happened. Okay, so at this point in your life, you're involved with the nursing and the medical caravans in different parts of Ecuador. How did you proceed and get to be to the position that you're in today? By default, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I've kind of worked in every area of healthcare in Ecuador. Um, we used to run a couple of hospitals down there and, mm-hmm. uh, as I say, the community health and development. And um, a few years ago, as you remember, the big tsunami happened. And oh, all yeah, of our healthcare yeah. efforts up to that point had been only in Ecuador. We'd only worked in Ecuador. We had... Everything that we were doing was in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I remember that day, it was, it was Boxing Day. I was home in the UK on home assignment. And I think everybody remembers seeing those huge waves come in and, oh, and yeah. the devastation. And I got a call from my boss at the time, and he said, is there anything we can do? And I, I was racking my brains because that thought was going through my mind, too. Is there anything that we can do to help? Um, we had got radio ministry in, in Asia Pacific region, but we hadn't done anything in healthcare. And, um, I said, yes, I'm sure we can do something, but we just need to get plugged in. And a little while later, it became uh, apparent that one of our partner ministries in Indonesia was asking for some help. And so we were able to get a small medical team together of, um, two doctors and two nurses. They flew around the world one way and I flew around the world the other way and we met up in <laughs> Singapore. And from Singapore, we flew to a small island called Nias Island. And mm-hmm. even getting there is a huge story of how we got there. And we were able to meet the healthcare needs of um, many, many people on Nias Island a little bit after the tsunami happened. It was, it was a few weeks later. But the crucial thing, we were kind of asking ourselves, why, why are we here? There must be people closer that could be giving this kind of care and attention to people because we were as far away as it's possible to get from Ecuador at that point. Yeah, yeah. And we, we really didn't know, but we knew that God was in control, that we'd felt that this was something God would have us to do, and we'd gone in obedience. And as we left Nias, we flew back to Sumatra. We we're going to have a night on Sumatra and fly to Singapore and then back, back home. That night in Sumatra, we were in the hotel and about 11 o'clock at night, I woke up and the room, everything was moving. What floor were you on? I was on the third floor of the hotel. And I was in a room on my own because the rest of the team were guys. They were all in different rooms. 
So I was only on the third floor, but I woke up and I thought, what is going on? Now, having lived in Ecuador, I knew what an earthquake was, Mm -hmm. but I had never experienced something like this. So I jumped out of bed and I'm wearing my T-shirt and sleeping shorts and I (laughs) run out of the room and fall down the stairwell because people are just crowding out of the place and yelling and the lights went out and we managed to get out into the car park. And as I mentioned before, the lobby was awash because the water was just sloshing from the swimming pool into the lobby. This is a cement swimming pool. Yeah. And yet it has waves in it because the whole... Because everything Earth is moving. moving. The oh ground is moving, yeah. creating waves. Wow. And um, was on the TV and just pictures of people fleeing in Aceh because they felt mm. they wondered if there was going to be another tsunami. Total panic. And they said, our, our partners have just contacted us on Nias. The whole island is destroyed. The orphanage is destroyed. The radio station is destroyed. And they want to know if we can come back. And so we quickly made a decision we would go back, which mm. is when we went back as first responders and were able to, to really help then. But this was the beginning of the change in your ministry, is that right? That was the change, because we realized that a well-prepared small team, because we're a small group, we're a small mission, mm-hmm. that a well-prepared small team could actually make a big difference. And then that was the first of many adventures. We also mentioned you being in Pakistan after an earthquake. So disaster relief just became part of your job description? Yeah, we realized that because we had um, a pool of physicians and nurses, medical people in Ecuador, um, we could literally drop everything and send a team, um, which isn't the case for a lot of organizations. You know, we had, we had enough people that we could do that. And so we became a little bit known in mission circles. Mm-hmm. And when, when the big earthquake happened in Pakistan, there was another organization who, a church planting organization, and said, you know, we're here, there's 74,000 people dead, there's destruction, there's so much need, can anybody come and help us? And we, we sent two teams, and our first team was a surgical team, um, um, did, did some amazing things, and mine was the second team, and we were more of a community mobile team, and were able to hike up into Kashmir and help in that area there. And, and then there are other adventures that uh, you can read about, and That's the, right. I've written a book That's about right. it, so yeah, they're in there. <laughs> God knows what I'm doing here. Now God I, knows now what I understand the title. <laughs> now I understand yeah. it. I was just wondering, I mean, when you put your faith in the Lord as that young, tough, leather jacket biker girl or young lady, did you have any idea that things weren't going to be all soft and rosy after that? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I... I knew, I knew once I came to know Jesus and I was at the rehab center on the farm, I knew that I was never going to be a Christian sitting in a pew for the rest of my life. I knew that God had a plan. Well, in a sense, didn't God prepare you? Because you haven't had a, a soft, easy life. You had that kind of rough life to prepare you for some of these ups and downs that you've gone through. Yeah, but I never dreamt what it would be. <laughs> I yeah. knew it wouldn't be the conventional go-to-work-and-go-to-church life. I don't think I could ever have dreamt what God would have done or mm. the, the places that I've been, the people I've seen, the opportunities, uh, the way my life has been blessed and enriched. And, you know, I, I say to young people these days, I say, you know, if, if when I was a young Christian, if somebody had said, write down all the places you want to go, all the people you want to meet, all the things you want to do, my list would have been like 10 things. Mm-hmm. And yet the, what God has done with a life that was pretty well rubbish and turned it around, and I wouldn't change my life for anything. It's not, 
Well, Eric, you know the Christian life is not all plain sailing. It's not all mm-hmm. blessings. Yep. It's not yep. all flowers and roses and chocolates. There are hard times. I wouldn't change a thing. It's just been the most awesome, amazing experience. And to see that God can use broken people like myself hmm. to minister to other broken people. And we're not super saints. I mean, with our failings, it's, it's just amazing that God can do anything with us. Well, well, it sounds like it's been quite an adventure. Any last thoughts to leave our listeners with? No, I mean, I think the, the famous Elizabeth Elliot said, wherever you are, be all there. If God mm. has called you to raise your kids in Melbourne, Australia, or here in Kununurra, up in the north of Australia, or wherever you are, or to go overseas, be all there and be 100% for him, offering your work, whatever it is you do every day, as an act of worship to him. That's right, and I forgot to mention, you are joining us today from Kununurra, part of Reach Beyond, where the antennas are for the International Shortwave Ministry there. That's right, the ends of the earth. (laughs) And so you're part of the leadership team of Reach Beyond these days? Yeah, I serve um, on the leadership team, one of the vice presidents responsible for international health care. So I run around the world and help where I can and, and just encourage our teams in some very difficult places. Wow, and the adventures continue. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me on. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Sheila Leach in Kununurra, Western Australia, where she was visiting as part of her leadership role with the worldwide ministry Reach Beyond. So Sheila has really come a long way from her biker gang days in the UK to serving on the mission field for over 30 years now, based in South America, and now travelling the world with Reach Beyond. Truly a remarkable turn of events, which, as we just heard, you can read about in her book called God Knows What I'm Doing Here by Sheila Leach. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with somebody today. Next time on The Story. I'm a mate at school, good old Nambour High School. Uh, A lot of mates back in the 80s became Christians around year 12 through a scripture union, camps and stuff like that, and... I just saw the change in some of my friends. I thought, oh, it's, it's like, what have you got? I, I just want some of that. And, and that's sort of how I became a Christian through my mates. Andy Chapman combines making music with missionary trips to various places like Vanuatu in the South Pacific. We'll find out about his life, music and adventures next time. The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.